there is an indefinable, mysterious power that pervades everything. That power that can make a way out of nowhere. Today, the world, in the world, is so much suffering because of that one of prayer. Welcome, everybody, to the Prayer Revolution. We're so glad that you're here. Today's a very special day. Before we get into that, this is just this is your daily prayer podcast. I'm here with Vera, my good friend and co-host, and our first ever live official guest on the show. We have our dear friend Jamuna Jaya, a longtime community member at the Bhakti Center, one of our star yoga teachers. Uh, the story that always comes to my mind when I think of Jamuna Jaya and how special and wonderful she is, I tell this story. Um, where I had to sub one of her yoga classes in the evening at the Bhakti Center. She teaches a, a regular, yoga, regular yoga class at the Bhakti Center. And, um, you know, sometimes it's tough being the sub because, you know, you're not what people were expecting to get when they walk into the class. But I walk in and just say, hey, everybody, and there's people in the class. And I say, uh, you know, my name's Doyle. I'm subbing for, for Jamuna Jaya, Jamuna. And, um, but glad you're here. How many people, is there anybody, how many people love Jamuna? And everybody raises their hands. How many people are a little sad that it's me here instead of Jamuna and like everybody raises their hand, puts it up and I'm like, I'll take, I'll take that as a, as a loving compliment to Jamuna. Um, but uh, they're like, we miss Jamuna. And so, uh, so you're loved by all your students, you're loved by a community member. She's a personal, close, good friend with my wife, Rasika. And I know how much she appreciates you and her life. And, um, and you are just a bright, bright ball of Krishna's love in the world. I always see it in you. So we're so, so glad that you're here as our official guest. We're really glad to have you with us. And uh, what we do here, Jamuna, is we start off each podcast with a little prayer. Then we discuss that mood of prayer in our daily life. And so we normally invite Vera just to say a little prayer. And then um, once we, we, we say the prayer to kind of set our intention, set our mood, and then um, I, I will invite you to introduce yourself to our crew, to our audience, so people know you as, as well. You saw all the beautiful faces on there that you wanted to say hi to, and we're excited to see, and they're excited to see you. And then, uh, but you can also introduce yourself to some people that may not know you, and then uh, we'll take it from there. That's great. Ananda saying, Jamuna, reason is why I walked into the Bhakti Center and I never left. Well, there you go. Beautiful. So, Vera, would you like to set, do your thing this morning, set our little intention and put us in a place of, of uh, spiritual connection? I would love to. Yes, absolutely. Love to. Super grateful, Jamuna. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you all for being with us. Let's take a pause in our morning, in our day, in our night, wherever we are. Let's take a pause. <clears throat> Just taking inventory. Just pausing. And just hearing the voice inside of your head, what's it telling you today? What has it been, what racket has it been playing so far in the day? That voice that is constantly narrating, constantly giving a commentary on every single thing in life. And that voice which we so often we think that it's our self. We think that it's us. And that voice is not us. That voice is the sum total of our human experience. It's our conditioning that's manifesting and playing out in each moment of our life. 
just taking that inventory and, and setting your intention. What is it that you're seeking today? What is it that you want to bring into your life? Hmm. Opening yourself up to receive that gift, that great quality, that intention, seeing it as a reality, seeing it manifesting in your life. Opening up to our prayer, opening up to our higher power, my divine mother, to feel the embrace of a pure, loving mother that heals our hearts, that removes all fear, that grounds any tension or nervousness that we carry in our hearts and our minds. The love of a mother, so stable, so secure, a foundation of love from which we know ourselves and we relate to every person in our life. My dear Lord, no matter what our experience has been, let us experience the love, the divine motherly love that is one of your most beautiful aspects. No matter what our experiences has been in this life, no matter what that condition has been in our relationships with our mothers and mother figures, bring healing into our hearts. Bring your love and your grace that we may experience true love from a divine mother. No matter what our situation is in this life, Help us to experience that foundation. Help us to heal whatever pain that we've been through in our lives and to be able to be situated in the foundation of love. Please let us feel that. Let us know that we are embraced by our Divine Mother every single moment. Let us open up to receive that love. We see so many challenges in the world taking place because that foundation of love, that foundation of being able to see ourselves as truly lovable and to recognize every person as a child of God, as a child of our same divine mother. And we see when that foundation isn't there, so many challenges ensue. Today, let whatever experience that we've had in our life, let it be healed and let us be firmly situated in a foundation of divine motherly love. Let that heal our hearts and let us take that as vessels, take that pure love and let us share that with every person that we come into contact with. Let us share that divine healing energy. We call out your beautiful names every single day. We call them out to be surcharged, to be charged with your power, to be invested with your love that heals our hearts, that transforms our consciousness, 
and that makes us vessels of that love and service to every person we come into contact with. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much, Pierre. Thank I'm you. To you. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to all of us listening here. And uh, that's what we do, Jamuna. That's what we do each day. So um, I would I would love to go ahead and introduce you to our audience, Jamuna. So maybe you can just, um, you know, and there might even be some things I don't even know. Maybe you can just introduce yourself a little bit to us. Maybe just tell us who you are, um, where you're from, what you do, and, and maybe, maybe tell us, um, yeah, your journey to um, when you found the Bhakti Center. So let's tell us, just tell us who you are, a little bit by yourself. So hi, um, first of all, that was so beautiful. Vera almost always makes me cry. <laughs> you're done and in prayer. Thank you for that. And I, 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 pray, I pray for your blessings that uh, no foolishness will come out of my mouth and from all these wonderful people that it's in line with Guru and Shastra and speak about mama and something that would make my mama proud. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm Jimuna Jaya. Um, uh, the name my parents gave me, Julie Pasquale, so a lot of people know me by that. Um, I am um, crazy blessed with a life that, as an occupation, I get to do three really amazing things. I'm a yoga instructor. Um, I am a clown that performs in chil- for children in hospitals, which I and mean, that we obviously have not been in the hospitals during the COVID crisis, but just on Friday, we did our first virtual visit, and um, hey, squirrel, and um, and, uh, and it was such a, I always feel like my, my character, Dr. I'm a Confused, um, is she's the better part of me. And uh, it was really nice to be back with her through the medium of Zoom and iPad. We were back in, in the room with kids this week. And so that was just awesome. And I'm also a professional storyteller. I tell folk tales and fairy tales and as often as I can, Vedic tales in schools and libraries, even um, prisons. Um, so I've been really, uh, crazily blessed that I get to skip around and do all these cool things for a living. Um, I'm a native New Yorker, um, and I think to the discussion about racial things, I think that really uh, uh, lends in. I'm the proud daughter of native New Yorkers, um, and my father's left the planet, but my mother, who Ananda Devi Dasi knows, I talk a lot about my mom, um, is really um, quite an amazing person and really uh, the, the older I get, the more I realize that my parents really set all six of their children up for an amazing uh, life rooted in service and got consciousness. Um, and uh, yeah, so my, my, I first came to uh, the physical practice of yoga. I was a professional dancer first. Um, and I first came to yoga through my clown work. Um, as a clown, I do a lot of physical uh, comedy. I walk into walls a lot, I travel with chairs. I'm a small person, as some of you know. And so my partners pick me up and throw me up against the wall. And every year we sort of have like this um, artistic evaluation. And so they would say to me, Dr. Ima, we love what you do, but you've got to learn to slow down. Um, physical comedy takes a pause. You ran into a wall and then it's the take, and it's the take back. 
and because of my energetic, I'm ultra, I'm more Vata than a Vata, baby Vata. Um, the world always seems like it's moving in slow motion. So I would tell my artistic directors, I am not being willfully disobedient. I'm just like, I'm always like, why the heck are people moving so slow? What is up with that? And so I was leaving my gym one day. Um, it was on Sixth Avenue. Um, and, and Laughing Lotus had been there, but they just hung out a big banner. Laughing Lotus Yoga Studio. And I remember really distinctly, and this was literally <laughs> when I thought, this yoga crap supposed to be about being still. How hard could that be? You know, I, I'm a dancer. I can learn it. So I marched myself into a community class, new teacher. Her name is Heather. And I, if Heather, if I ever see her again, I will thank her. She didn't have harmonium, but she sat down at the front of that room and chanted, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And I remember my eyes flew open. I was like, I have no idea what that woman just said but this is, this is, this is something. And we did those breaths of joy for people to talk about. And five minutes in, I was like, oh, I so get this yoga stuff. And so I started practicing and then, but I found that really what I wanted was that first five minutes of class when they were talking about some stuff, because I'd always been a seeker. I was brought up Catholic. I tried to stay Catholic for a long time, but then it just didn't start to make sense. But I was always looking for a connection to God in some way. Um, and I was like, what, wait, 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 no, don't go into downward facing dog yet. Wait, wait, no, I wouldn't, what did you just say? And that's why I took a yoga teacher training, really, out here. I live in New Jersey now, out in New Jersey. And I had, you know, I had, a, I had two jobs I love. I was a clown, a storyteller. I wasn't looking for another job. Um, but I took the yoga teacher training specifically to get the philosophy part of it. And somewhere in that training, I, um, someone mentioned the word bhakti. And devotion to God. And I remember my little ears perked up. Um, so I took that training. I started teaching just to keep getting my classes for free, quite frankly. And then after about two years, I still want to know more. And my friend, Patrick Franco, uh, who Ananda knows, um, uh, knew Raghunath Capo. And he said, this guy has what you're looking for. And as a lot of us have, <laughs> nod your head. <laughs> All, all stories lead to Raghu. All stories well, lead to Raghu. Where it goes from there. Right. And as, as Rasika once said, he yells the bhakti into you. Isn't it? He does. And he's this man. And I, again, I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and I'm just like, and again, I thought, whatever he's on, I want it. So started taking his class. He was still in the city at Laughing Lotus. And then he left. But by then the hook was in. And um, uh, Yoga Maya, um, who I was, I'm teaching at Yoga Maya right now, but virtually, um, Yoga Maya had just opened their advanced teacher training. And there was a 300 module called Devotion. And I was like, that's why I want to take this module. And on my first day in Walks the Man Who uh, Became My Guru, Danyadar Swami, first day of training, walked in with your brother-in-law, Vera Jagiri Hari, who is still in Brahmacharya mode, wearing orange at the time. And again, I sat there and I'm like, not quite sure what this is about, but I'm so in. That training was transformational. We had Maharaj speak to us. The next day, they took us to Radha Govinda's, the Brooklyn Temple, and Anata and Achuta took us to the office, and they opened up, Radha Govinda were really my first deities, and they opened up that altar, and I was like, <laughs> like, oh God, like, God, <laughs> hey, God. And I remember 
and people that know me will laugh at this. Kirtan started, and you know, Achuta was like, her whole low and slow, getting in, and I could feel myself starting to move. And people started dancing, but I was shy, and I was at the back. And uh, Danyadara walked up to me and goes, you look like you're perfect for this. Why don't you go up and dance? And I was like, oh no, I'm too shy. <laughs> people that know me think about that for a second. <laughs> First one up at the party is now me, so. Um, so during that training, um, I met Kastuba Das. Kastuba unpacked the Gita for us. Um, and that was like, boom, Gauravani, because he's a good friend with Brin Krishnan. Gauravani came in for a weekend and taught us um, uh, taught us stories. Jayutal was also a friend of the studio. He unpacked the Ramayana for us because he's such a lover of like, that's, I'd always sort of like, who is the flying monkey? And if you look behind me, there's flying monkeys there all over the place. Who is the flying monkey do? I love him. Um, Jayutal like increased that. And by the end of that training, I was like, that's it. And there wasn't a lot going on at the Bhakti Center, but Kastuba was giving classes on Sunday mornings in his house. And I would go and I would just like be the stupid one in the room and Kastuba, and most of you know Kastuba was Kastuba and just like let us ask every sort of question. And eventually he and Dhanudar Swami Raj uh, were leading a pilgrimage to India for three weeks. Uh, we went to the Govardhan Eagle Village, which at that point was really new. We did Jaipur and finally Vrindavan. And that really, that was really the watershed moment. When I came back, I was then, that's when I became the bodega cat at the, <laughs> at the Bhakti Center. And I crawled into every class. And I just literally, like I'm not, I never left. I insinuated myself in every program that I could possibly insinuate myself into. And, um, and that was really it. I, I have such a deep debt of the Bakke Center. I'm in deep separation from it right now. Um, but I, I, you know, then went on to take Ganeshad is another person I always have to mention. At that point, the only thing we had going on was Thursday night Gita discussions with Ganeshan before Kirtan. And me and a small group, people that know Gail, and I, you know, Gail was there. And Ganeshan just let us ask every question under the sun. And for basically two and a half years, every Thursday was, was Gita, 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 Gita. Um, yeah. you're, you're a Gita addict. I know that about you. I am. <laughs> you, you the full, full gamut of a journey, Jamuna. I, I, a question that I had that was that was that was coming to my mind is you said you're a native New Yorker, you come from a family of native New Yorkers, and now you're living in New Jersey, and your spiritual journey um, seems to have originated and really blossomed and come to be in New York. Um, did you ever spend any time? Have you always lived in New York? Um, because uh, the, the the I mean the the New, New York City. I mean I I spent the last few days out in Jersey um, visiting my wife's family and she likes it out there as a space etc and um, you know we're in this space where she's like I just I feel so much grounded and, and and spacious being out in Jersey I'm like I feel that way at home in Brooklyn mm. and as soon as we as soon as we um, as soon as we drove into the city and made it a neighborhood of Brooklyn this feeling of just like home and being mm. and belonging because it's 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 a neighborhood, and and there, we live in an incredibly diverse neighborhood. Like I can't say our neighborhood is any one. I mean, it's black, it's white, it's Indian, it's Pakistani, it's Muslim, it's Jewish. Um, it's a, it's it's so much of everything, even just in our building. Um, and yesterday we went to a rally in Times Square. Um, it was a protest. Um, for uh, for the murdering of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, et cetera. And, um, but it sometimes makes you wonder that sometimes in New York, we can kind of live in a little bit of a, 
of a bubble, some sort of like a, a liberal bubble. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, we're not immune. You know, a lot of the things that are happening, there's, there's a lot of racism in our city as well. And so um, I'm curious for you, when, when you first heard about the murdering of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and things that were going on, being a native New Yorker, currently living in Jersey, what was your immediate, immediate reaction? Well, one of the things, and I do, I, um, I think about a lot, my experience growing up as a New Yorker and coming from parents that are New Yorkers is different, I think, from people that maybe um, grew up in, in out, outside New York, because New York is a bubble. Like I grew up never thinking anything was weird. There was every there was every sort of person, and my dear parents really cultivated that. The people were people, were people, were people, were people. Um, and I do have to say, I think racially speaking, that New York City has backslid from when I was growing up and when I was younger, um, and that really makes me sad. Um, tell, me, tell me more about that back. What do you mean backslid? I, I feel like when I was younger, it was it, everyone was much more accepting. New York was the place to go to really be yourself. And I would often describe like when I would travel outside the country and people, people under, outside the country seem to understand that there's America and there's New York City, that they are not exactly the same thing. And when people hear I was from New York City, they're like, oh, because it would, it would seem that more things were accepted. Everyone sort of like stood side by side. Like my parents grew up um, in Spanish Harlem, which at that point was right next to the Jewish community. And my mother said, oy vey and oy gabolt so much, I had no idea those were Jewish terms. I just thought there were things that they said. And so it seemed like there wasn't so much, there wasn't so much a, di there wasn't so much a difference between people, even to the point of being careful that there's not a difference between people. It was just all sort of cash. It's like, you're you. And, and like my parents, my parents would always say, people are people are people, but you have to understand because I'm one of six children and I have three brothers, but you do have to understand that, that everybody's going to see you that way. And that, that, that was always clear to the message, right? That my parents taught us the people of people of people. And I saw that, but it was to be understood that that might not be the perception from other people. And the, and then our work was always like, so what are you going to do with that? when people see you and perceive you as differently. And that's something that, um, again, due to the foundation that I think my parents gave us, and also too, then I went into the arts, and then so it's a whole melange of people, but that's something that I feel like the spiritual practice has really helped me a lot at. And I was just talking to my yoga class about one of my favorite yogic stories is the pastime of Lord Nityananda getting that brick you know, thrown at his head, right, by Jedi and Manai. And, you know, Lord Chaitanya says, you, you want to forgive them? And remember, Lord Nichiren says, no, I, I'm not forgiving them because I never took their offense in the first place. And that's what I think about a lot. A lot of people have been throwing up the Booker T. Washington quote, which is a beautiful one, and I'm going to mangle it, but that quote of like, I am not going to allow that person to degrade my soul by letting them make me hate them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that, um, and that's something that I think I got from my parents initially, and it's only been bolstered by the spiritual practices. I am a Gita addict, and that's one of the things. That first time we cracked open that book, and I remember sitting in the room with some other people, and it's like, oh, 
God, Krishna, is saying, then you're not the body. So why in God's earth are people hating or liking based on what is literally the furthest thing from who you really are? The skin is the covering of all the other stuff. And that has nothing to do with me because I'm like somewhere back in here. And my spiritual practice, just like I knew it, but then it's like, aha, this is why I know it. Because it's, because it's the truth. And the other thing I think that, that that story of Lord Nityananda like has always resonated with me. I'm like, I'm not that thing of like, I'm not gonna take on your offense. Because I know when I get, you know, mad, I'm not my best, my my best self. And so in some way or the other, haters, for lack of a better word, there's some hurt there. And again, to quote Abdiraga, he says, hurt people hurt people, isn't it? Right? Like people that are hurt land up acting out. I volunteer at a domestic violence shelter and I hear the stories again and again. And it, uh, one of the things that the spiritual path has, has taught me, it's like that person's a spirit soul. And just like when I am hurt or sad or upset, I am not my best self right now. They're not being their best selves. So those are things that are really, that really help me that, um, that deep understanding and I like the way that my now I, I know my mom. My mom's rather extraordinary. She's 92 years old. I just saw her yesterday, and oh. she's lived through a lot. Um, yeah, I'm the youngest of six children, so she is. She's seen a lot. And when Mr. Floyd was initially killed, um, we speak every night on the phone. She, in a way, she was very um, not blase, but she was kind of like, "Well, she said, kid, it's happened before. It'll happen again." But then a few days later after some of this energy started coming out, and this is interesting and I think encouraging, she said, but you know, I think it might be a little different this time. Yeah. And that was really telling. Yeah, so I have a question for you based off of that because I, I really appreciate, you know, you're quoting Booker T. Washington and you're quoting your own spiritual values and beliefs, you know, and, and something happened at this, this protest that my wife and I were at yesterday it, it was very enrapturing. We were, we were there ourselves for close to two hours and we were standing in Times Square and it felt like it went by like that, you know, like because they were, they had multiple speakers coming. The speakers only spoke for a few minutes each, but it was very powerful and a variety of voices. And um, one person was speaking about something that on the, on the car ride home, you know, one of us mentioned that we weren't sure, you know, if we agreed with or not, or we were kind of grappling with it because one of them was saying how um, he was encouraging himself and his family to be armed, um, you know, to practice Second Amendment rights and to be armed. And, and, um, and we, my wife and I were talking about, I was like, I don't know if we really agree with that. Like, that doesn't, no, we shouldn't have guns and violence. And then I just thought, I spoke up and I said, but you know what? I don't know what it's like to walk through a neighborhood and experience fear. I don't know what it's like to be experiencing that type of violence towards me. And of course, even in this circumstance from a police officer, mm-hmm. and we started like, oh, that's, that's right. Like if, if people are actually, so, so, so what, what I'm getting at is that sometimes it's, it's, we can say, oh, don't let that person, I don't want to hate that person or don't take offense, et cetera. But, but I don't know if you have, you know, for yourself, if you can share that, that members of, of, of the Black community are experiencing, it's not just taking offense, it's taking, mm-hmm. it's, it's survival, it's, it's, it's well-being, it's, um, it's livelihood, et cetera. And so 
how do you on a, on a personal level or would you would you could you share and speak on that point where there's the principle of like yes we shouldn't take offense and or people shouldn't take offense etc i have to take a higher road but when it confronts with the very i think that's the issue that's 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 why it's a little different this time mm-hmm. because hey it's it's not just principles and philosophy and morale it's 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 life and death yeah i am um, i i think about that deeply because i but I think in a way, and this is where I don't know if I'm going to be able to offer um, anything that's, that, that, that's more satisfactory. I mean, I, I, there have been times in my life, like I remember the first time I was called the N-word, I was actually in Ireland, and, and the first time I went to this, really my experiences of feeling real racism was when I, when I, the first time I was down in, down in the South, and um, I, I, where I clown in Harlem Hospital, it's a, it's a, it's it's in Harlem, so it's in a, and a lot of times the the, the kids I see are the victims of, especially in the summer, of of gunfights and and violence, and for myself, it still comes down to something really basic that I I I will defend I will defend my rights to be. I will try to speak out, but to literally come to the place where I'm degrading myself to stoop to their level, I can't. And I feel like that's where yoga practices come in because I I have enough control over myself to be able to, in that moment, take a high road. And, you know, my brothers, and now I have nephews like that are older, my brothers, as, as, as black men walking the walk, have had a harder road of it. There's been twice that, and one of my brothers, oddly enough, he works for the Justice Department. He's a, got, he's a lawyer, got a big old badge. And one time he was helping a friend carry a TV, helping them move, and he got stopped. Um, and it's the amount of control that he exhibited to not throw that TV down and, and punch the dude out. And it comes from... I think it may sound simplistic and maybe it is. It comes from that basic thing of like, I'm not, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I, cause I know, I know the truth. And I think there, from a spiritual standpoint, we need to t- obviously need to take those practices into, into the world. I think also that um, when we try to, I was just reading something yesterday, when we try to put almost material, um, solutions to spiritual problems we're not gonna we're not gonna get it i mean there's things that we can do in the external but it really has to begin with with going deep because until i think and until it's 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 deeply rooted that we're all connected no matter what we do in the external part is is gonna is gonna matter and until we can in some way instill in people that that to take that pause and really think about it before violence inflicts, then we're not gonna get anywhere. And I think what is different about right now is the people are getting the sense that people get it. Mm. And I think that wasn't always the case. Um, And I think once people feel heard, they'll feel connected. And if they feel connected, then it's less likely that violence will ensue. And I think that that is so far that is that is the difference and that might be something that my mother as much as she has seen in her many years on this planet is perceiving 
that people seem to be listening, that at these, these rallies and stuff, it's such a diverse people of all ages and people are listening and people are getting to that really deep understanding. Yeah, I mean, that, that was something I noticed at the protest I was at yesterday was that um, it was a big stage and a lot of group and it was all um, Black Americans speaking at the stage and the microphones, but the crowd was, I don't know if I saw any, really any Black people or people of color in the crowd, it was all white people. And, um, and I think that, you know, um, I, I took this picture the other two nights ago, it was the first night when I got back to Brooklyn in my home neighborhood. It was near, just down the street. It was in the evening time. I hadn't been in New York for about a week. I didn't know if there was a curfew. I'm like, am I going to get arrested for being out? Mm -hmm. I was taking a long Joppa walk, chance of, you know, meditating while walking. And, and um, I saw in the corner, there was this group of people that, you know, all of these signs, looked like they were just on a march or something. There might've been maybe like 30 people or something. And it was so interesting. I took a picture of it because it was all, it was about 30 white people all standing around this single black woman who was kind of clearly the leader and directing the charge. And I thought, wow, this is so symbolic in a way, even of what it is. It's like a white people turning to a black person saying, please lead me how to act in this situation. Mm. And I thought it was very, very powerful what it represented, at least from, from my mind. And I, what I'm hearing you saying, you know, this idea of, the, of your brother helping to move and getting stopped and trying to take a high road, et cetera, do you feel, because because I kind of feel this way, and, and I think it's like you to speak to this, because also, I mean, you know, many, mo most of our audience looking out right now, you know, we have a white audience listening right now, and and the Bucky Center itself is a, is a, is a predominantly white institution, you know, in terms of our demographics. Um, and, um, and sometimes there are messages that can be said, like you're saying, but do you feel it's appropriate yeah, I feel like as a black woman, you sort of have a certain um, a license to say some of these philosophical principles that may come off just as insensitive if some if, if a white person says them. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Do you believe that to be the case? And if so, what kind of message and response do you feel non-black Americans or global citizens should kind of be taking and, and entering into this conversation? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really excellent question. Uh, there and it's it's an interesting thing because there are things that I can say that I, that I can that I can say and and get away with and would not possibly be perceived would would come off uh, wrongly being somebody else and that but that to me is 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 a bit of a problem. The fact is when we can get to the day because look at. For me personally and other people, I don't want to be treated any different from anybody else. And some of the more uncomfortable moments of my life are when people are going overboard with it. And then I feel really icky. And then it's really obvious you do see me as different because you're treating, you're not treating me the same. I just want to be treated the same because at the base, I am the same. And I, I think the more people are honest, when people are honest with me with their confusion, like, is this okay to say? Is that okay to say? The more people are honest with, I don't know, I have this feeling, do, 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 do. The more people just, just are honest and don't try to either like act like they got all the answers or act like, yeah, I know what it's like. You know, I think that, I think that that's what I, that's what I really appreciate. Just, you don't know, 
Like, unless you, and that's true of any of us. I don't know what it's like, you know, in, in this lifetime anyway, I don't know what it's like to be, my husband is an Irishman. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, a tall dude with red hair and a beard. I don't know. I can ask. And that, and that's, and that's what I appreciate. And that's what it's got to come to. But I think we, in so, it's interesting. In some ways, this culture has gotten so inappropriate with what we think it's okay to say and do. And then the other hand, we get so like, well, I don't want to ask anybody because I don't want to offend anybody. And I think there needs to be a line with that. Like, yeah, ask me, ask me, and I'd be happy to tell you. I think too that um, we, uh, when it comes, if what it comes down to is that it like being an African American woman is only one aspect of who I am, and and being you know a white person or whatever is only one aspect of who we are. And I, the bad part is we start hammering down on that. And it's even like, I, I guess, uh, and I'm sorry I don't make this more often, this class more often, because I'm often teaching at this time, but to have different perspectives, because I, I be loath to say that, and now Jamuna Jaya is speaking for the entire you know, community, because my experiences are different and I, I'm framing it through me. And so to get different perspectives is great because that's the thing, I think anytime we see that one person has the answer for an entire race or cultural group we're leading astray. So my long rambling answer to your question, Toyo, is, is really ask and deeply listen, and deeply listen. And I think that is what's different. Like um, the, the company that I work for performing in hospitals for children, it's an organization been a long time. And in its history, I've always been the only, no, we did have one black female, another one that was for a while. So whenever something comes up, I, I see everybody in the room sort of like looking at me like, <laughs> like, yes, black person, what do you have to say about this? And I can only, I can only speak for myself, but they are, they are interested there. And that's, I don't, again, I don't want to be held up on a platform. I don't want to be punched and kicked. I want to be listened to. And I want the right to be, you know, we're all sparks, we're all sparks in the divine fire. And one of the things particularly in bhakti is about the individual, individuality of each individual soul. And that's true of that, and it's true of external consciousness. I want the right. And I think most minorities would say, we want the right to be able to be who we are. And that comes from people listening and finding us as individuals and listening to our experience. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I, I deeply appreciate that. Thank you. That, that raises, I have one or two more questions. We, 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 for those who haven't noticed already, we're extending our podcast a little bit to give time for this proper dialogue. So we're planning to go till, till 10 a.m. Um, I wanted to invite any of our listeners out there, if you're tuning in on Zoom and you wanted to ask a question, if you wanted to you know, participate here, ask, um, ask a minute question, please feel free to write in the chat board. You can write it publicly or just to myself privately. And um, I'll, I'll get it. And if you wanted to participate or share some love or a question, but um, but two questions that came up for me, just the, the last things I wanted to ask was, um, you know, reminding me, um, our good friend Namras conducted an interview with a few people. Um, one of them being our good friend Jai Jagannath, mm -hmm. and one of the questions that Jai Jag that Namras asked, you know, like, what do you think is the how should how should spiritualists or Krishna conscious people or devotees be responding to the issue? And Jai Jagannath said something very beautiful. He's like, I don't know if there is the, you know, spiritual response or Krishna kind of response. I can give you a, you know, spiritual response, but, you know, different people may respond to that differently. And I think that 
what you're saying is that it's, you know, I'm not speaking for an entire race or community of people. This, this is me. This is my experience. And I think it's important to honor that. And I appreciate that very much. And that's why I really loved and wanted you to come onto the show. I mean, Jimena is so humble. She's like, ah, oh, why are you inviting me? I'm just a little person. I'm much to say. And I was like, you are a person. You're a beautiful person. And just you sharing who you are and your experience is beautiful. Um, uh, uh, maybe, maybe one of a, a question that um, I wanted to ask if, 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 if I can just get a little, a little personal with you, if you don't mind. That the, you know, I was, um, I've been, I'm in, I'm in school and I speak, um, you know, I study, so, I study uh, sociology and psychology, and we study W. E. B. Du Bois, mm-hmm. who was a um, black American uh, historian, sociologist, civil rights activist, and he talked about this concept of, of, of the veil, a veil meaning like. Um, something which which covers the vision of how black and white people see each other mm-hmm. and he talked about for for black people that there are this dual vision there is how i see myself just as my own pure unadulterated self and how i see myself in the light of how i'm viewed by my white counterparts and that that itself affects my own self image yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like if somebody tells you continuously that you're stupid, you start to believe that you're stupid and you're not able to believe a conception of yourself outside of that because it's already been tainted by somebody else telling you that you're stupid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so um, I wanted to, you to ask, if, was there a, um, you know, you mentioned you grew up in New York City. You mentioned that you grew up in a family that was near a Jewish community and your, your mother seems to be very... Um, welcoming and opening and raising you in a very diverse and accepting mentality. You also mentioned that New York City felt kind of his backslid a little bit. Was there, um, was there, a, what, do you feel that there was, was there, was there a moment or an incident or, or, or a period of life where you started to realize like, oh, I'm treated differently even in this own city. Like it's, it's not, okay. it's different than when I'm in with my home, with my family, my five brothers and sisters and my parents. And that, you know, when you went outside, whether it was at school at an early age or a later age, was there just an incident or something you can share with us or a time period? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so I went to the high school performing arts, arts high school. Um, and uh, I really fell in, fell in love with ballet early on. I thought it was really cool. And so you had a choice to, at a certain point, to sort of major in whether you want to do more modern forms of dance and ballet and I was one of the few African-American dancers that went into the ballet. And that was really my first feeling of that it was sort of a raised eyebrow experience from both sides of the fence. And mm-hmm. that's something that's really- Tell me about that, yeah. From both the white people in the class and from the African-Americans, because there is the thing of like, but you think you white? Mm-hmm. And that was really, and I, that really did take me back. I was 13 um, and um, in some ways very immature because we were, you know, we went to church and went to dance class and that's kind of it. And I, again, we, I came from this people are people, Julie, people are people, you know, so I, I, that was a, that was, I was very taken aback by that. And my thing was like, no, I'm not. And I remember I jokingly said, well, obviously I am acting black because I am black and therefore I'm acting, so anything I'm doing. But that was really like the first time that I began to see like, aha, people think because I'm in this covering that I de facto have to act this way. 
And I know for sure, and I know for sure that's not. I was drawn to the lady with the tutu. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. That felt more authentic to me. And that was the first time. I mean, that's, that has professionally come up because I, and, and it often does when you're an African-American person, you, there's so many times you're the first and the only. And it goes back to what my parents said, people are people, but you have to understand that people are not going to perceive you that way. And so there is always the bit of a pressure that you're called to a higher standard, which I believe Barack Obama spoke to, you know, like not only did he walk into a crap show of where the country was, but being the first, and he's half black, but being the first man with a black face to sit in that seat, the bar for him was incredibly high. And when you are the first or the only, there is, there is pressure. There is pressure because even though I know and we know, it's just me, but there is all the pressure that you, you, you represent. And I know that when I travel, I've had the opportunity to travel to, to countries where I get, like I've had some weird looks in certain places. In China, a woman practically bicycled into a tree the first time she saw me, she's like, you know, I, and of course being an American, I never want to be the ugly American, but I do, I carry around the like, oh, but I also have this. And because what people, especially outside the country, may only be seeing is every cop show where every perp or every bad guy is somebody with brown skin and every woman is a hooker or, or a crack, I feel the need to really like behave myself. I'm extra friendly. I, I don't like, oh, you lost my luggage. Oh, that's okay. You know, I feel, I feel the pressure of the fact that somebody will construe my actions as speaking for, for the entire race. And, and that's not fair. Um, but there is, and, and you, and you, and I also, that veil that he talks about, I for sure, like, I understand sometimes when there's a raised eyebrow or something I said, or someplace I am, or something I've wanted to do, I understand that people are thinking, well, that's not typical, but I, there's part of me, it's like, well, we're never going to break out of the, the box unless we say no. And that's part of the, like, one of the places I tell stories is at a youth detention center. And as is often the case in, in places of incarceration, most of the, it's mostly young men and mostly young men of color. Like uh, every once in a while, a white person, a white person strolls in and I'm always like, oh, there's a white person here. I'm shocked, right? And part of the reason like the, the person who runs the detention center, he brings in activities so that these young men will see outside of the box. And as a, as a uh, performance teaching artist, we often say that imagination isn't a soft skill. Because if you cannot imagine a life outside of the one you see, then how can you ever live it? And that's when we bring in, and, and that's what the arts can do. And that's why they're so powerful, getting on another high horse there. Because that's, and that's what they see. They, we tell these long epic stories. One of my favorite times in the Tent Center, I told the story of Prahlad and Haranagashi Poo. And I brought in a picture, I showed them first, of, <laughs> of Lord Nishimdadev, like full, like blood and guts, and Rana Kashibu across their laps, and they looked at us like, what is happening? And I told them the story, and they were wrapped. Imagine, but 18-year guys who've done some really bad things, because they were in prison, they're like, what? Oh, you know, they're completely into it. 
but that's the that's the power of those kinds of things because they expanded their mind. They were having a discussion. Of course, we know about the three person on Godhead. They didn't know that, but they were at least having a discussion about something that wasn't just a movie where bang bang shoot up. They were expanding their minds, and that, and I think really strongly to like breaking our our black and brown communities out of the box of people telling us who we should be is mm. part of that has to be that the people go, it's okay. You're in this box. And to a certain extent, other people have put you there. Mm. You don't have to remain there. You don't have to remain there. Take a step out. And even though it's scary, and even though you may be the first and you may be the only, right? And even though, again, as we know, yogically speaking, that this is just a covering, that, that I would love to see more of that happen. Wow, that's 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 really really powerful. Um, I wanted to say something on that, but just um, the two the two closing questions I think that we um, wanted to just bring up that we addressed, and we'll close with this in a second. Was um, one our good friend Laura was asking people really appreciating that point that um, she can speak a little more to what you just said that one black person's response to a situation does not account for an entire race. We see this happening so often on social media. So I, I want you to speak a little more on that. And then also um, a closing question could be also from your fellow little squirrel, uh, my wife. So thank you so much, squirrel. So for those who don't know, my my wife and uh, and Jim and Ajaya, they call each other squirrels. Like oh. one of you is squirrel one and one of you is squirrel two. Which one is one, which one's two? We, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it flips, yeah. It flips. We, have, we have several squirrel like paraphernalia in our home that have been, we have a squirrel salt shaker. <laughs> a little, we were cleaning the house the other day and there was like this little squirrel stuffed animals like, I was like, can we get rid of this? She was like, she was like heartbroken. She was like, we're not getting rid of the squirrel. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. And um, but she, she asked the question, how do you feel our spiritual community can do better with racial justice and equality? So speaking a little bit more on um, on how one per black person's response doesn't account for an entire race and how our community can do better. So those two things, but I just wanted to just maybe just just acknowledge this point that you just made that. Do you feel, because we hear this term a lot, structural racism, and, um, and, and, just, and, and Vera had to step off the show, so it's just you and me now. We're going to have to hold each other accountable, because I, I feel like you and I could talk for a whole other hour. You know what I mean? Like, we, we have that, that, that gift. We'll squirrel out. Like, yeah, both you and I. And so, um, so I'm going to try to rein myself in here in a second. But, um, you know, we hear this terms like structural racism. You know, I would, again, I was I keep referencing. I was at this this protest yesterday, and and somebody mentioned that they were, uh, you know, a black man who was speaking said that, you know, they were marching somewhere, and a police officer came up and said, you know, if it were me, you know, I would protect you, or I wouldn't do that. And the man responded to him, the you know, the black man who was speaking said, it, it was very passionate, and it was very there's a lot of energy in the room. He said, I don't I don't care about your individual act. He said the system. The entire mm. system is, 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 is there's, there's a racist, there's a structural racist system that is working against us. And do you feel that part of that structural racism is an image that's given to black people to be a certain way that is perpetuated through movies, through music, through, that's, that's, that's a little bit what you're saying, right? It's like, oh. they're, they're given an image. You're supposed to be, you know, yeah. These are the images. These are the roles you're meant to play in life, and that perpetuates. It's not only it's not only a message to white people to view black people in a certain way, but it's a message to black people to view themselves in a certain way. And you're yeah. saying 
that needs to be broken also, that black people need to be able to step outside of how they view themselves and don't allow that box to be given to them by a racist society. Absolutely, absolutely. And that, that and I was speaking, speaking with a Indian family this weekend and they were talking, they were having sort of the similar thing. We, we've fallen, I mean, like we all know how most African-American people got here. So that the, 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 the seed of how we got here was not good. We were brought over to be subservient. And so that is sort of seeped into the, the ground well of the culture. And like, and, and, and there's, the thing is, there's many such cool things about the African-American culture. That's like, in the people have been appropriate left and right and, and sideways for years. There's so many good things, but we also have to know that, like, why limit yourself? Why limit yourself be? And that is the, I think so much of that's the answer when we look at why aren't more African-American people doing this or that, or that. It, it can't be imposed from the top. You can't like, you can't take me and put me to run a, a 500 Fortune 500 company just because I'm a black woman. I have no knowledge of that. It needs to start at the bottom and get kids are interested and get kids to understand that they, you know, you don't have to just take this one road. Mm. You can do A, B, C, D, E, because wow. when you put your, don't, like from Dirty Dancing, nobody puts baby in the corner. Don't put yourself in the corner. Don't do it to yourself. And that, and, and, and that's what I think, but it, but it's scary and it's hard because you want to look around and you want to see people that are like you. And because there is this veil, you may get pushed back. There may be people that say, you shouldn't be here. You don't belong. And that's when it takes those acts of courage to go, I've, I've got to be, no, I, I do belong at this place at the table. This is, this is who I am. And then I am so much more than I am those things. Right, there is a certain culture, there's a DNA, but I am not just that. I'm not just that. Um, and then in terms, you know, one of the things that when I brought people to the Baki Center on a Thursday night cure time, one of the things that I always get is is that it's one of the more diverse uh, places that one could be, where every age and every different nationality and every size. And one of the things, and I live, we all hope for the day when we're back there someday. When you look around that crowded temple hall on a Thursday night, you you see every sort of person, and so I think I think the Baki Center does it right. I think um, I, I I think because we in the end, and I'll go back to what I mean. In the end, it's got to be from the very root, and it's got to attack this problem from the various root, and that is going to what we really are, and that's what the Baki Center does. We are opening and welcoming. I've said at the reception desk many a day we're we're open and we and responsive to everyone that walks in the door and there would i think and daniel swami Maharaj always says that bhakti is without designation so that anyone can step up and that's where we let the isms go and i've never felt and i know jagannath um and i'm sorry i missed that because i really wanted to hear him speak about that you know like has spoken about it's not don't like the black guy that gives the Bobby Tom class, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, like scream at that, that we, that Bhakti is without designation, that we see the, the, the truth. And I think that the, the culture of the Bhakti Center really does play that out. And so I don't, I, I, I don't frankly see that the Bhakti Center can do anything better other than what it does. And that is really speak to the truth of the person. Mm. And in the end, that's, I know that's what I want. Mm. I don't want to be, 
I don't want to be pigeonholed either by myself, either by others that are in my same race or by people that are in a different race than myself. Jamini, you are such a beautiful, shining example of a human being. And I'm so, so <laughs> glad to know you. Before this whole quarantine and lockdown went, I even, when I sent you a text message to reach out if you would be on the show, I saw the previous text message that we said that dropped off like pre-COVID of like just wanting to connect with you more on a personal level and see how you can just be more involved in what we do on a, on a general basis because you're such a beautiful soul. You, you bring your joy is infectious. Your humility is astounding um, and your wisdom and your, 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 your depth of, of spiritual knowledge and care and compassion is, 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 is quite deep. And so uh, thank you so much for being here with all of us. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Thank you for being honest and, and, and vulnerable. Um, anybody as before we sign off, share your love for Jamuna in the chat board or mm -hmm. you're hearing people just said, I want to be here all day. <laughs> so many getting a big air hug from Valori. <laughs> so you, 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 you are such a beautiful, beautiful, bright shining. So I'm so, so glad that you're here with us. Thank you so, mm -hmm. so much. It's such an honor. I'm grateful for your time. Please give my best to your husband, Jim. Yeah, he's lurking around the bathroom. He's like, can I use the buzzer in my hair yet? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in and being here with us on this extended episode. Um, these are all recorded. We put on our, our, all our podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Um, and so I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to do something. We can officially for our recordings, we will end this recording now, but I'm going to actually go ahead and just, um, Aww. I'm going to, I'm going to go off the chain. here. So I'm going to mute everybody and everybody can just say a honey bowl. And we love you, Jamuna. Oh, you guys okay. are just Hey, Jeff is taking a nice walk. Mwah, squirrel. <laughs> Valori, hi. Ananda Devi Dazi, big Texas hug to you, my sister. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. Nicole CH, who I know from the show. <laughs> Patricia. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I was I was really super nervous. I gotta say, when I'm gonna get nervous, my stomach is like, whoa. <laughs> so this morning I woke up, it's like it was very nice that I had to teach before this, so I could like really sort of like chillax and um so so thank you so much for the opportunity again i wish a lot of times i'm this is my hearing time like i'm in jagannath's class from 8 30 to 9 or 9 15 so i missed this but it's so good to see your faces if anything didn't make sense you could reach out to me and happy to speak and um Dayal, thank you so much for everything you do for the bhakti center um it's just you're such a wonderful selfless servant in every way and thank you and thank you for not throwing out the squirrel <laughs> yeah, no well we, we you know my, my, my we, we go through these, these marie kondo phases you know and it's just like we, you know what i mean and my, my wife my wife is like it fits all three boxes it's useful it's meaningful and it brings me joy to everyone tuning in, also, we're glad you're our first official guest. Um, my inspiration was to really want to bring Black voices into this conversation. And so we have several guests coming on this week. Our good friend, Brajarani, is going to be our guest tomorrow. Yeah, wonderful. She'll be on our show tomorrow. We'll also be broadcasting live from Facebook as well as here on Zoom. Thank you guys all so much. Please, please be well. Please take care. Please stay in touch. Please stay safe. We will see you next time.
Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Hugs. <laughs>